AML audio. AML audio. AML audio. This is episode three of AML audio. Hi guys, it's Steven Sargent here um, with uh, my host, co-host Priyanka Sharma. So today we're going to talk about how a fraud specialist can transition into AML. So just to give you a little background, I'm going to let Priya actually talk about her background, um, her education, and just give you a sense of who she is. Just a reminder that this is a disclaimer that anything that's said in this podcast is not a direct influence or in the opinions of our own and not of any organization or employer that we're associated with. So Priya, introduce yourself and start yourself off. Well, I'm also an AML investigator like Stephen. Uh, I come from a background of fraud. I used to work with uh, Canada's largest financial institution at RBC. And I recently just passed my CAMS designation. And I have a uh, undergraduate degree in psychology with a minor in sociolegal studies. And most of my course is focused on deviant behavior and criminology. Criminology, that's very interesting. So let's talk about how we met. So we met at the CIFCA course, mm -hmm. which is the Canadian Institute for Financial Crime Analysis. It's a great course that's uh, it's kind of backed by BMO. It's, uh, Peter Wark is one of the uh, professors there, as well as Gary Nichols and um, Cyrus. So let's talk, he handled a lot, he talked a lot about fraud. So let's talk about Cyrus. Explain like how that fraud aspect gets into AML and why the transition to AML for yourself? Well, fraud and AML, uh, I would say in terms of investigation, trying to key different information together and trying to paint a picture, that is similar, but there is a difference and that is this, the element of deceit. Fraud, you are able to many times catch an element of falsehood or deceit that this is not true and we're able to confirm fraud. Whereas AML investigations, you might realize a lot of the time the activity is legitimate. What you're looking for is suspicion of money laundering. And that is more to do with reasonable grounds to suspect. So in terms of our cores, Cyrus used to uh, uh, talk about was mitigating those fraud risks through different, through different internal controls. And that is a huge key aspect in the fraud industry right now because a lot of fraud that happens in financial institutions is due to either new payment technology or the accounts that we use on a regular basis. You know, it's, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, mitigating the fraud risk. I think AML is the same thing. We're mitigating the risk of money laundering and other yeah. risks that are associated with a financial institution. What made you interested in becoming an AML investigator while in fraud? I know a lot of people are transitioning. A lot of people, because it's similar skills, think that the compensation is a little bit higher in AML. What made you interested in AML and wanted to transition out of fraud? Well, I agree. Like it, The AML um, work environment comes with a lot of uh, highlights and perks. But I mean, for me, it was more about the AML field itself. Um, to, uh, when I was doing fraud investigations, there a lot of times you would see activity which wasn't fraud, but it was suspicious, it was unreasonable for the client, and we wouldn't conduct those investigations ourselves. We would escalate them to our AML department, and I was really intrigued. I was really intrigued about you know conducting these AML investigations, reporting it to FinTrack, and being able to be in a role where I feel like I'm making a difference, where if I am suspecting illicit proceeds, I can actually help 
mitigate that risk. So instead of escalating, you want to do, you want to go front to back. You yeah. want to complete the yeah. investigation and fraud just kind of limited you yeah. from doing that. What are some of the transferable skills that you, I talked about some skills in the paralegal podcast, analytical thinking, legal research and writing, reading legislation. What are some of the skills that you bring from your fraud, fraud background that have helped you in your AML career? Um, definitely the research. So even in AML, you need to you need to be really really good at researching. Uh, whether either you're doing open online uh, research or you're gathering different information from different documents that you have on hand, banking activity. Same thing is in fraud, right? You are going through banking activity and you are reviewing a client's information, researching your client, and trying to see if this activity is reasonable for them, it makes sense, and trying to find an element of deceit. And fraud. I would say it's mostly the research and investigation. So for fraud, you have a good understanding of what what is regular banking activity, and that that's kind of in AML too. It's good to have a background of what's regular mm -hmm. banking mm -hmm. um, banking exactly. activity, so that you can kind of see what's different or what differentiates exactly. that. So let's talk about what are some of the skills you're trying to learn now to kind of improve your AML performance, or is there any? or any courses that you're looking to take that you're taking right now currently? Um, I'm looking to do my CFE, which is a Certified Fraud Examiner uh, designation. And the reason being is, um, even though fraud and AML can seem very different at many times, it, it they, they go hand in hand, right? It takes the same type of investigation skills and many times in AML, you might even find fraud. So, and especially working in the mortgage industry right now, I would like to have my CFE so that can actually help with my current role and position as well. And that's amazing. I find like the ACAMS, the CFC, CFE, sorry, and the CFCS are all hand in hand. All having any one to two of those um, combinations will make you a strong either AML or fraud professional, whichever route you want mm -hmm. to go. Uh, I saw a little bit on LinkedIn that you're at UFT, you're taking a risk management course or certificate course. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that risk management course mm -hmm. and what are some of the courses that you're taking in, within that certification? So I started my certificate for risk management. Um, it's, so not the designation. So keep in mind, there's two different things. So you can take do a certificate in risk management at most universities that encompasses three courses, which is the foundations of risk management, risk financing, and uh, risk controls. So when you complete those three, you get a certificate from the university. Okay. Um, you have to do more exams if you want to do your CRM, which is a Canadian risk management designation. Um, the reason I started taking the course is because essentially AML and terrorist financing, it is a, it's a function of mitigating risk, AML risk, right? And many times people think of AML and they think it's just investigations. Um, but there's many, many different roles in um, AML, and a huge part of my current role is risk management. We are trying to put in controls, we are trying to test controls to make sure we are mitigating our AML risk. So that's why I started it. I've completed the first course, which is the foundations of risk management. And if you choose to take it, you'll realize that it's not geared towards AML. It gives you an overall sense of risk. So it tells you how to create a risk framework, how to put internal controls in place so you can test your controls to see if it's working, whether you are mitigating that AML risk. And that's helped me in my role because I am understanding the, the larger risk management aspect of AML. I think that's important. I think AML, especially now with the FATF regulations, are going to more of a risk-based approach mm -hmm. when dealing with 
customers. So understanding all the different kinds of risk will help you using that risk-based approach. Um, so you, I see that you just passed your CAMS. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank uh, that's amazing. For a lot of the people that listen to my podcast or read my articles, I talk so heavily about CAMS. People message me every day. You know, what tips do you have about the CAMS? I took the fifth edition. I made chapter summary notes. And I always tell people like the flashcards, if you can, someone gave me that advice. If you can understand the flashcards, you'll have no problem um, passing the exam. Talk a little bit about the exam, your studying process, the questions, how difficult were they, and the overall experience trying to write this exam. Um, the exam, I would definitely advise everyone, make sure you study for it. I know it doesn't matter how long you've been in the field, and you might think <laughs> that, you know, I know everything. It is, it, it will surprise you. And, and it's a good thing, because it's making sure that only real qualified specialists are getting into the field, that they're being uh, accredited with the designation. So I would definitely say, at least the six months that they're giving you up until the exam, make sure you have a study plan. Read the entire book because you will need it and definitely do. At the end, once you've read the book, you have a study plan, you've read the entire thing, do the questions at the end and review the ones that you keep getting wrong. Definitely do the flashcards. I would also make sure you understand the US legislation that they talk about in the book. I know that's a huge thing for Canadians we might think, okay, why do we need to do it? You right. do need to understand it. Quick question about the question. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been preaching. The questions yeah. are hard. Yeah. Like, I've never seen, you know, I've taken a couple industry yeah. exams, a paralegal exam. These questions are about a paragraph long and they're difficult. And I know Peter Wark has said that he makes no apologies for that because the questions should be tough. We have yes, to, yes, you know, we have to really, as you said, we have to weed out who is really going to be at a high quality. This yeah. is the minimum global <laughs> standard for AML. Talk a little bit about how questions, how tough the questions were, just because the practice questions I think in the book give you a false sense of these are the way the questions are gonna look like. There's not one practice question that comes like directly out of the exam yeah. that says, yeah. hey, this is how this is how a difficult question is gonna look. But in, in the exam, they're all difficult questions. Talk a little bit about the questions. Oh, they were definitely difficult. And it, when you're doing the practice test, you might think, okay, a lot of these are doable and you might come across one hard or two hard ones, but no, when you get in that test room, you will, I ended up using the full, I believe, four hours that I was given because, you know, there's sometimes there, you might think that there's two best answers. And the reason I feel they do that is because it's a lot like an AML, right? You need to have reasonable doubt or certainty that this is the answer or this is our suspicion. So they're doing this to check your judgment. And so I would... Do, I wouldn't focus too much on how hard the test is going to be. I would focus on studying, making sure you understand the content. And if you are getting all the questions at the back right, you are getting the flashcards right, I, I would go in with confidence. But do not expect it to be just like, okay, I'm memorizing and then just doing a test. And, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, you can talk a little bit about this. When I did the exam, I felt... You know, I felt like literally I got 30%. When I was done doing the exam, before I submitted the questions, and even, I, do they still have this where you can kind of check mark the question and then go back and check it after the exam? I think that's hugely important. I think I had about 60 questions check marked by the time I was done. So to be able to go back and kind of like, oh, these are the ones I really struggled with, Talk about what it was like trying to keep that confidence. Cause I know after about 20 questions, you're like, oh, I just failed. Like I only really felt mm -hmm. confident about maybe five answers. Talk about a little bit about how you have to 
keep that confidence going through the whole exam. Just be confident with what you know versus freaking out and starting to maybe lose your judgment or lose your focus. Exactly. A huge part of that is like you want to create like a mental confidence going through that exam because some of those questions can be really challenging and frustrating. Um, I would do exactly what Steven's saying. Skip the one at the when the first time you're doing it, skip the ones that you are unsure of and do the ones that you are completely sure of. Even if you feel like, you know, you're unsure about a lot of them, <laughs> just just put a mark beside them and come review them again. And you know, you're given enough time to go back and review the, the questions you're not certain about. And honestly, if you study and you put in the work, you'll you'll be surprised that, that you can do this. Now, I know it's, you took the 6th edition, I'm assuming. Yes. Do you know, edition. do you have any understanding of how different that was from the 5th edition and, or what kind of changes that you may have saw um, from the 5th edition? Or I know it's hard because you didn't, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't see the 5th edition and I haven't seen the 6th edition, but do you feel that it was more comprehensive, comprehensive and it involved a little bit more, you know, practical terms and definite? Like how... It, it, I, I, I don't know because I didn't obviously go through the 5th edition one. But going through uh, the sixth edition, there were a lot of recent papers that they discussed. There were a lot of recent legislations or or guidelines that are being passed now. So it definitely, I I see why those changes were made. I think it goes in a bit more detail about fintech or or Bitcoin. I'm not sure because I don't know what was in the fifth edition. But definitely, they're trying to keep it current. And that's important because I don't remember there being too much in the fifth edition about crypto. I don't think I even remember cryptocurrency being mentioned. But yeah, a lot of these new cases, new cases of money laundering, it's going to change and evolve. So I think another parting note to those studying for the exam is the definitions. If you understand the definitions of the word, it's going to make those questions a lot easier because you understand, because it's going to be the difference of one word or two word they're using. So you have to really understand the definitions of the words that they're going to be using in the questions to really build Mm -hmm. your confidence and understand the answers. Talk about how important getting the cams for you was and how important it will be for your career going forward? Um, I think it, it was it was really, really important for me, um, especially because I know that um, it, 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 it I know that you might be great in AML and you might be doing your job to the core and all your reports are fantastic and amazing. But if you are you don't want ever anyone questioning your uh, credibility in AML. Right. And, and it definitely is a gold standard. It shows, okay, I can trust this person's recommendation. I can trust this person's knowledge. I can trust this person's uh, report. So for me, like, it, it gave me a sense of confidence. And it, it, even in my company now, I, I feel like I'm serving my company well to say that, hey, I, I am a CAM certified investigator. I can help make a difference in this position now you talked about the company let's talk a little bit about your job or what you can disclose about Mm -hmm. some of your roles Mm -hmm. and responsibilities at a general level don't want to get you in trouble with any details but talk about your your current role where you're employed and some of the roles and responsibilities that you have right now yeah i I work with a fantastic mortgage company called mcan mortgage corporation um it's definitely interesting because we are on the opposite (laughs) we're on a different side of uh, the financial industry as opposed to uh, regular banking but it's it's of course some of my duties are very similar i'm doing transaction monitoring um investigating suspicious activity and a huge component of it it is risk management it is uh, monitoring and uh, managing uh high risk and medium risk clients and then working alongside the camlo to make sure our procedures policies are current if we see any emerging risks we take action right away and being compliant 
with uh, the AML legislation. So let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of people may be transitioning into this like, you know, maybe investigating is not fun for mm -hmm. me. I'm more of a, you know, I'd like mm -hmm. to talk about policies and procedures. So talk a little bit more of your aspects so people know that if you get into AML, you can definitely branch off into many different yeah. functions, including regulatory compliance mm -hmm. um, and some of the policies and procedures. Talk a little bit about the policies and procedures and how difficult it is uh, writing those. So uh, I, I don't write the policies, it, that, that is obviously a higher level, that's a camel. But I do help with the procedures, I do help uh, in implementing new changes or um, doing the regular updates. But it, it, you need to know the legislation. You right. need to make sure that uh, you understand FinTrack guidelines, you understand OSFI's B8 guideline, and even the, the self-evaluation reports that you know FATF might put out, you want to make sure that you are taking recommendations into account. Those procedure writing becomes easy only if you understand what, <laughs> what you're required to do. And then you have to take a look at the risks that your company or your industry might be dealing with and make sure that you're addressing them at a high level in your policy and then going in detail in your procedures. I think that's so important because you work for a mortgage company, there's obviously mm -hmm. money flowing in from other countries and everything so it's very important that you do say that you you have to take what you learn and address it to your specific field let's talk about you know a lot of people are transitioning into aml from other fraud or from legal talk about how difficult it was to get a job because you got a job without a cam so talk about how easy or difficult it was to get a job and what the process was for you in finding work um it i I, for some reason, thought it would be really easy. <laughs> I thought, okay, I am a great fraud investigator. I'm able to do this well, so I'd be able to do AML well. But no, it, it is, it's a challenging environment, mostly because we have such talented individuals in AML. Right. And also because it's a serious field. You don't want to take in an investigator that might not be able to meet regulatory deadlines or be able to understand the legislation or how to report, write, and research. So... For me, yes. So because I didn't have my cams, many employers who reached out, they, they were concerned about my maybe my money laundering knowledge or uh, aspect of it. But I did start. So I, as soon as I realized that, I started taking courses. So I enrolled in CIFCA, which is taught by great industry leaders right. who learn a great deal of uh, AML knowledge. I also started taking the risk management course to improve all my knowledge in risk. And I, I, what I started doing was I really started reading up on the guidelines. I started reading up on FinTrack guidelines, OSFIs, B8 guidelines, and understanding what the whole you know industry of AML was. <laughs> I agree with you. It's the bigger Once you understand the yeah. bigger picture, you can do the little things yeah. very easy. If you don't really understand what you're doing as a whole, and you know, it, it's so it's such a testament to people getting into industry. They just think, oh, I don't have my cams. I don't really have much experience that's it i'm not going to try hard you have you have to do more than them you have to be able to take those courses and it's going to spend you spend a little money on the front end but i think on the back end you're going to get into positions where you can create more wealth and create and get a better job and get more experience so uh, that's great did you have any difficulties like challenges finding work or did it feel like um was it difficult in any way to try and leverage some of your fraud skills or talk about how you leverage some of your fraud skills when being interviewed um I, I was able to talk about how I conducted my fraud investigation. A lot of uh, the times, the questions would be like interview questions would be geared towards, okay, walk me through a fraud investigation, which 
you might find surprise. It's it's very similar to an AML investigation, uh, but definitely everybody wants to know if you have an understanding of the legislation. I think that was the key thing for me, maybe because I didn't have my CAMS and they wanted to have knowledge of that. So, I mean, so when I started understanding what FinTrack was, what OSPI's role was, and how these guidelines came into play, I that is when I started getting actual attraction from employers. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to really attract yeah. them in, and that's free, right? That didn't yeah. cost you anything to go read the legislation. It might be boring a little bit and time-consuming, but I think once you start wrapping your head around it mm-hmm. and seeing case studies, let's talk a little bit about networking mm-hmm. and how you found LinkedIn or other networking events. Because CIFCO was pretty much a networking course. It gave a lot of information, but there was a tight-knit group of about 13 students that we all keep in touch with each other still. A lot of us found jobs because of people that we met there. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about your networking so far or how how much or little have you done. So I I think that a huge uh, misunderstanding regarding networking is people... Well, people like me who are often introverted, <laughs> they think that, okay, now I have to go to all these places that I don't want to be and meet people. It's it's not that, especially in the AML field. Networking is about like get, meeting people who are just as passionate about you as, a, as AM, uh, about AML. And oftentimes it involves sharing knowledge and different industry trends and, and you know, growing that network, network base on LinkedIn especially. Um, it helps keep you current. It helps keeps you up to date. And I started doing that by, first of all, making sure that my LinkedIn profile was geared towards what I was looking for. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think people often think, okay, I'm just going to go in, add a bunch of people in the AML field and hopefully, you know, make it big. No, people want to network and connect with you because if you share a similar interest, so you need to you need to really, I think you have to create a brand for yourself almost, right? And it's not a fake brand. You need to be passionate about your field. So, and I think that's a huge important thing. If I would, those would be the first things I would work on. Um, start reading up on, become current in legislation. And not, I'm not saying everything, but at least the high level stuff. And then reflect that in your LinkedIn, share updates and try to start networking with people in that sense if you don't want to go out and start meeting people that you don't know. I, I agree. I'm not a person that likes to go shake hands either. I think I do better in the comfort yeah. of my own home. But what I found with connecting, actually connecting, and that just doesn't mean adding people on LinkedIn. I send them messages, understand their background. Because the more I did that to understand other people's mm-hmm. background is how I got to this place where now we're talking about, oh, there's so many different other fields that you can get into AML. And maybe people don't really understand that because they, they haven't reached out to other people. Mm-hmm. So really connecting with people and establishing relationships and the good thing about connecting with AML people, especially high-level professionals on LinkedIn, is they post dozens of current articles yeah. talking about the situations that are going on. And they're it's, passionate. And they're, they're passionate. And you don't have to now go read, you know, yeah. open up the news and try to yeah. dig and find AML. They're talking about all the current mm-hmm. issues. You really just open up your LinkedIn, go through your newsfeed one day, and to me, you're, you're pretty much yeah. caught up if you're following the right people. And if you don't know if you're following right the right people, please go check out my article about the top 20, 21 LinkedIn professionals that I follow. A lot of them are AML, including yourself. Mm-hmm. And do you have anything else to talk about? Anything that you would like to talk about today about your profession or risk management? Um, I, I there was one point I wanted to mention that might be my, uh, regarding the CAMS designation. Um, please, please research your testing center. <laughs> For me, I know this seems very, very <laughs> insignificant, but I had a really terrible experience with mine. I had another individual there who was just doing a different exam and 
making a lot of noise um and it was especially when you're really like nervous and um not sure about the questions that you're doing you need you need to make sure that your testing environment is uh, okay so please make sure you research and review your testing center afterwards to help other people <laughs> it's 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 really just these type of industry exams it's really just about preparation if you can go in studying aside if you can go in and know where you're going and you know you're driven by the place mm -hmm. you know the testing facility as you said mm -hmm. you maybe take a look and see if there's been poor yeah. reviews in that testing yeah. facility because yeah that's a terrible feeling it's not mm -hmm. it's not like a paralegal test where you're going in and there's monitors and yeah, people exactly. walking around exactly. this is just a room they close the door and the person that's administrating goes back to going on their phone and checking their incident. Mm -hmm. They don't really mm -hmm. care what's going on. They can see it, but they can't really hear or feel the kind of pressure that mm -hmm. you're going through. So I think that's a really important point is, you know, running late is huge. You gotta be prepared. You gotta be there early and you gotta really feel. And you know, this exam is made for people to fail. It's made for a certain percentage of people to fail. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a bad thing if you fail. I've failed a lot of exams in my past. I was able to pass this one on my first go, but it's one of those things that you have to understand. It's an industry exam. It's made to only allow a certain amount of people into the field at a time. So you really have to have a high level. You can't just think, oh, you know, I've done AML a little bit. I can just study oh, this no. course. Some people can. I know people that have studied for two weeks and able to pass, but unless you know, you're able to take multiple choice are always hard questions because there are going to be two, if not three, right answers. They're made mm -hmm. to trick you up and uh, to thinking, as you said, at a higher level. Anything else you want to talk about your career or, you know, some aspirations of where you would like to go or where you'd like to see your career go in the future? Um, right now, I, I, I see myself at this company for uh, for a long term just because it's it's me and the Camelot working together to uh, run and monitor our AML program. So there's there's so much to do. There's always a new project to work on. And I think that's important. If you're in the AML field and you feel like you're getting tired of just doing one investigation after the other, don't forget that there are so many different roles, right? You can you can get into policies and procedures, you can get into risk management and looking at, you know, putting in controls in your company. And and if you are working in a place right now and you feel like, okay, you know, I'm becoming used to this, maybe start looking at ways that to make your processes better, right? Everybody finds flaws in your processes and the way you're doing things and management might appreciate it, right? You're on the front line doing your investigations. If you see certain controls that are failing, bring it up with your risk management team. So, I mean, don't always have a tunnel vision, have like a holistic approach to AML and it'll keep it interesting. I think that's, you know what? I think that's amazing advice. And I can yeah. see why you're gonna do well in your career adding value you know yeah. people want to complain about the processes mm -hmm. people don't want to take the half an hour to write them down mm -hmm. explain to management hey these are not working this is why they're not working this is how we can improve it it's easier just to go back to the lunchroom and complain about oh this is not working this is taking me too yeah. much time adding value is the only yeah. thing that's going to get us to this next level yeah. technology is coming in that's going to eat up a lot of the jobs that mm -hmm. we're doing even some of these more mm -hmm. investigation jobs you know, they can take a, they can take, there's going to be technology that can kind of cut out some of the investigations and just kind of play it on the odds of, you know, we'll be right 90% of the time, but the investigators might be only right 75% of the time. Which one are they going to choose? Mm -hmm. Which one's least expensive? So it's all about adding value. And I, you know, I really appreciate you telling that to the audience and explaining that, how adding value really works. You know, I really appreciate your time today. If you want to talk about anything else, we can always do another podcast. You're always more than welcome to come back into the green room. You know, this is a pretty cool room uh, and talk more about your podcast. Any parting words? Um, all I can say is if you're passionate about the AML field, it's definitely worth a shot. 
But remember, you have to, this is a passion. This is something that gives you purpose. And if and that will keep you going, even in the days that you may feel like that, okay, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm actually making a difference or not. Connect with others who share that same passion as you and continuing improving your knowledge and, and you'll and you'll and you'll get better. I think we will. I think eventually there will be a, there'll be there's going to be more of a focus on money laundering than there is about profit. And that's really yeah. it's the two sides combating. Right. The financial institution is all about profit yeah. and then the AML on the other side. And how do we find that healthy medium of we're still making a profit, but we're concerned about customers and we're concerned about our country first mm-hmm. and really combating financial crime. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Priya, thank you so much today, guys. This is AML Audio. AML Audio, this is episode three. You know, I'd really like to have more guests here. If you are a guest that listens to the show and want to talk a little bit about your job in AML or your struggles in transition, I will have Priya's information on the show notes. You can reach out to her on LinkedIn and talk to her and maybe ask her some questions about the CAMS exam. Thank you so much today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Okay, thank great. you. Take thank care. You. AML Audio.